Questions to the Prime Minister. Yeah. Mims Davis. Yeah. Number one, Mr Speaker, please. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, yesterday marked a momentous day for the family and friends of the 96 victims of the Hillsborough disaster. Over the last 27 years, their search for justice has been met with obfuscation and hostility instead of sympathy and answers. As I said to the House in 2012 about the Hillsborough Independent Panel's report, it's wrong that the families had to wait for so long and to fight so hard just to get to the truth. I know the whole House will want to join me in praising their courage, their patience and their resolve. They've never faltered in the pursuit of the truth and we all owe them a great debt of gratitude. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others and in addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mims Davis. I would very much like to associate myself with the Prime Minister's important comments on the Hillsborough tragedy, along with members on all sides of this House, and pay tribute to the victims, their families, and the resilience of the campaigners who continue to strive for the truth in the pursuit of justice. In my constituency of Eastleigh, the service that GPs provide is crucial to people's daily lives, including St Luke's in Botley, who I've met with to highlight their important local value. Does the Prime Minister agree with me the recent key announcement of £2.4 billion of funding for GPs is only possible because of a strong Conservative majority government? friend is absolutely right. We made a choice to put £12 billion into the NHS in the last Parliament, £19 billion into the NHS in this Parliament, and we want to see strengthened primary care. Our vision is GPs coming together and having in their surgeries physiotherapists, mental health practitioners, other clinics, so people can get the health care they need, and we take the pressure off hospitals. That will only happen with a government that keeps investing in our NHS. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, after 27 years, the 96 people who tragically lost their lives at Hillsborough and their families finally received the justice they were entitled to. I welcome the fact the Prime Minister has apologised for the actions of previous governments. I join him in paying tribute to all those families who have campaigned with such dignity, steadfastness and determination to get to the truth of what happened to their loved ones on that dreadful afternoon. I also pay a very warm tribute to my friends, the members for Liverpool Walton, Lee, Holton, Garston, Halewood and other MPs who have relentlessly campaigned with great difficulty over many years. I hope the whole House today will be united in demanding that all those involved in the lies, smears and cover-ups that have so bedeviled this whole inquiry will now be held to account. Last week, uh, the Prime Minister told the House that he was going to put rocket boosters on his forced academisation proposals. This weekend, in the light of widespread unease, including amongst his own MPs, it seems the wheels are falling off the rocket boosters, (laughs) and the Government is considering a U-turn. Can the Prime Minister confirm whether or not the U-turn is being prepared for or not? 
Um, first of all, let me join the right hon. Gentleman in praising those who campaigned so hard and so long uh, to get justice for the victims of, of Hillsborough. This whole process took far too long, but I think it is right, and I pay tribute to the hon. Member, right member for Lee, that we had that Jones report. We responded to the Jones report. I also want to mention the former Attorney General who took the case to the High Court for the Government himself to argue for that vital second uh, inqui inquest. Turning to the issue of academies, I haven't yet met a rocket booster with a wheel on it, but I'm sure um, <laughs> rocket science isn't really my subject, and I think apparently it's not his. I will repeat again, academies are raising standards in our schools, and I want a system, and I want a system where it's heads and teachers running schools, not bureaucrats. Well, there wasn't much of an answer there, but so can the can the Prime Minister can the Prime Minister tell us whether he will? If the members opposite would be patient enough, they might hear the question I'm putting to the Prime Minister, which is another very simple one. Could he tell us whether he will bring forward legislation to force, against the wishes of good and outstanding schools, to become academies in the upcoming Queen's speech? Yes or no? You, you, obviously, I can't really preempt what's in the Queen's speech, but on this, on this one example. On this one example, I can uh, help him out. We're going to have academies for all, and it'll be in the Queen's speech. Well, Mr. Speaker, we look forward to that, but there is still time for the U-turn, which I'm sure is at the back of the Prime Minister's mind. It's been reported that the government is considering allowing good local authorities to form multi-academy trusts. Ironically, this would actually give local authorities more responsibility for running schools than they have now, although the Prime Minister has previously suggested that local authorities are holding schools back. So why is this costly reorganisation of schools necessary for schools that are already good or outstanding? Why is it forcing it on them? As I said last week, and it's good, I like repeats on television, I'm very happy to have them in the House as well. As I said last week, outstanding schools have nothing to fear from becoming academies and indeed have a lot to gain. And just because a school is outstanding or good doesn't mean it can't have further improvement, not least. Not least what we want to see is outstanding schools helping other schools in their area, often by being part of an academy trust. Now, he raises the issue about local authorities. But if, if you. If, two questions so far, two very clear answers. Third question, third clear answer coming soon. Simmer down. Simmer down. Perhaps if you could deal with the anti Semites in your own party, we'd all be prepared to listen to you a bit more. of ways that schools can become academies. They can convert and become academies. They can be sponsored by an outside organisation. They can work with other schools in the area. They can look at working with the local authority. Those schools that want to go on using local authority services are free to do so. I'm very clear. Academies are great. Academies for all is a good policy. What we're now seeing from Labour, I sense, is they're now moving in favour of academy schools. Perhaps when he gets his, to his feet, he could say, does he favour academies or not? Yeah. Jeremy Corbyn! 
Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will be aware that sometimes repeats on television get more viewers than the first time round. The Chief Executive of the largest academy chain in London, the Harris Academy, has warned that a far more fundamental thing that the Prime Minister should be worrying about, uh, whether schools should become academies or not, is actually teacher shortages. The academies, uh, Mr Speaker, don't want this. Parents don't want it. Teachers don't want it. Governors don't want it. Conservative councils and MPs don't want it. Who actually does want this top-down reorganisation he's imposing on our education system? Okay. Question four. Answer four. Here it comes. He says who wants this. Well, let's start with Michael Wilshaw, the Chief ah. Inspector of Schools. I don't know. I think someone quite worthwhile listening to. Academisation can lead to rapid improvements, and I firmly believe it's right to give more autonomy to the front line. OECD. Should we try? They've been in the news today. We won't get too controversial. The OECD. I view the trend towards academies as a very promising development in the UK, which used to have a rather prescriptive education system, so they support it. What about endless academy trusts who support it? Now, he asked another question, very keen for full answers. If you shout, you won't hear the answer. Right. He asked about teacher shortages. He asked about teacher shortages. The fact is, there are more school places and more teachers under this government than there were under Labour. Why? Because we've got a successful economy and we're putting it into our schools and our children's future. Mr Speaker, there are of course still record numbers of children in oversized classes and in supersized classes, and that is getting worse. And he, if he is looking for support for his academisation proposal, he might care to phone up his friends, the leaders of Hampshire, West Sussex and his own Oxfordshire County Council, who are deeply concerned and opposed by it. He might care to listen to Councillor Carter, the Conservative Chair of the County Council's network, who says the change will lead to a poorer education system. So why is he pushing it through with so much opposition, so much concern and such a waste of money when we should be investing in teachers and schools, not top-down reorganisation? Well, I'm glad he's quoting Conservative Council leaders and because they keep the council tax down and provide good services, I hope we'll see more of them in ten days' time. Now, on teacher supply, just to be clear, ju just to be clear, um, 13,000 more teachers than 2010. To give a wholly accurate answer to his fourth question, again he asked, again he asked for, about who else would support academies. Let me quote Helena Mills of the Burnt Mill Academy Trust because she said this: "I used to be very sceptical and resistant to academy status." But during the process of developing the academy, I've been increasingly convinced this is the way forward. That is what more and more people think. That is why 1.3 million more children in good and outstanding schools. That is why almost 9 out of 10 converter academies are good or outstanding schools. We're very clear on this side of the House. We back aspiration. We back opportunity. We back investment in our schools. We want every child to get the best. It's Labour that want to hold back opportunity and have one size fits all.
Mr. Speaker, there seems to be a pattern developing here. His, his, um, the pattern is quite simply this. He has a health secretary that's imposing a contract on junior doctors against the wishes of patients and the public and the rest of the medical profession. Yes. He has an education secretary imposing yet another Tory top-down reorganisation that nobody wants. When will his government show some respect and listen to the public, parents and patients and indeed professionals who've given their lives to public service in education and health and change his ways, listen to them and trust other people to run services rather than imposing things from above. Tell him the pattern that is developing. We can see 1.9 million more people being treated in our health service. We can see 1.3 million more children in good or outstanding schools. That's the pattern that's developing. A strong economy investing into our public services. The other pattern that I've noticed standing at this dispatch box is I'm on my fifth Labour leader and if he carries on like this I'll soon be on my sixth. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, the uh, government package to help potential buyers of the Tata Steel site in Port Albert is substantial and befitting the tremendous bipartisan endeavours this government has undertaken to save the industry. It stands in stark contrast with the distasteful, disrespectful comments of Labour's policy adviser who said that the steel crises had been good for Labour. Could I ask the Prime Minister whether there is... Can I ask the Prime Minister whether there is any indication that the package could help expedite the sale of the site which could provide the long-term viable future for Welsh Steel that we all hope for and the workers who live in my constituency of Gower? Well, I want to thank my uh, honourable friend for welcoming me to the Gower yesterday and before coming to his constituency I visited Port Talbot and I met with the uh, management and with the trade unions had a very constructive discussion. Um, uh, and and I, I did actually meet the Conservative leader, Andrew R.T. Davis, who does an excellent job in the Welsh Assembly. So, uh, I, I, look, if you want to be Speaker, you better stop interrupting everybody. It'll, it, it, it's not going to get you any. It's not going to get you any votes. Right. Little tip, little tip for you there. Um, there's a serious point, which is the areas where we can help. We can help in power, we can help in procurement, we can help on the issue of pensions. So there's a very constructive conversation going on, but I say again from this dispatch box, while I want to do everything we can to secure the future, not only for Port Talbot, but also for Scunthorpe and steelmaking in Britain, we're coping with a massive oversupply, a collapse in prices from China. So we must do all we can. There's no guarantee of success, but if we work hard, get a proper sales process and get behind it on a bipartisan basis, basis we can, we can see success here. Angus Robertson. Uh, fo following the Hillsborough inquiry, uh, we join in all of the comments that have been said thus far in relation to the families and paying tribute to all of the campaigners for justice. Uh, Mr Speaker, last night the government was defeated for the second time in the House of Lords on the issue of refugee children being uh, given refuge in the United Kingdom. There are many members of that House, as there are many members of this House, in all parties, including the Prime Minister's own side, who would wish us to do much, much more in helping providing refuge for unaccompanied children in Europe at the present time. 
Will the Prime Minister please reconsider his opposition and stop walking on by on the other side? I don't think anyone can accuse this country of walking on by in terms of this refugee crisis. Let's be very clear. Let's be very clear about what we've done. First of all, taking the 20,000 refugees from outside of Europe, which I think has all parties' support. Second of all, last week, announcing the further 3,000 uh, principally uh, unaccompanied children and children at risk from outside Europe that we will be taking. Third of all, of course, in our normal refugee procedures, last year we took over 3,000 unaccompanied children. But where I disagree respectfully with their Lordship's house is those people who are in Europe countries are in safe European countries to compare somehow children or adults who are in France or Germany or Italy or Spain or Portugal or Greece to compare that with children stuck in Nazi Germany I think is deeply wrong and we'll continue with our approach which includes by the way of being the second largest donor of any country anywhere in the world into those refugee camps. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, just as in the 1930s, there are thousands. There's no comparison, Mr. Speaker. Apparently, apparently, there's no comparison between thousands of children needing refuge in the 1930s and thousands of children in Europe at the present time. Yes, yes. Order, 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 order. I'm not interested in somebody yelling out their opinion of the Honourable Gentleman's question. This is a home of free speech. The Honourable Gentleman and every other member will be heard however long this session takes. It's very clear. Mr Angus Robertson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Europol estimates that 10,000 unaccompanied children in Europe have disappeared. This is an existential question about the safety of vulnerable children. The Prime Minister thinks it is not the responsibility of the United Kingdom to help unaccompanied children in Europe. So I ask him, so I ask him, who has the moral responsibility to feed them, to clothe them, to educate them and give them refuge, if not us and everybody in Europe? Let me answer that very directly. First of all, any unaccompanied child who has direct family in Britain on claiming asylum under the Dublin regulations can come to Britain and quite right too. But he asked the question, who is responsible for refugees? The person who is responsible is the country in which they are in. And look, I want Britain to play our part, but you have to ask yourself, do we do better by taking a child from a refugee camp, or taking a child from the Lebanon, or taking a child from Jordan, than we do taking a child from France, or Italy, or Germany. And as I said, to compare this to the 1930s is frankly to insult those countries who are our neighbours and partners. Thank you, Mr Speaker. ATP Industries Group, based in Cannock Wood, are one of Europe's largest independent remanufacturers of automated transmissions and vehicle electronics and were last week awarded a Queen's Award for innovation. ATP export goods across the globe with their international trade increasing by fi- over 50% last year. Will my right honourable friend join me in congratulating ATP and will he set out what the government is doing to support exporters 
reach new markets. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly join my honourable friend in, in congratulating ATP. It's very difficult to win a Queen's Award for export, so they do deserve praise. What we need to see in our country is we currently have one in five SMEs that export. If we could make that one in four, we would wipe out our trade deficit. We're encouraging that through the work of UKTI, but we're also encouraging it, as I saw yesterday in South Wales, by encouraging reshoring, by getting the supply and components industries, for instance, for the automotive industry, to come back on shore and come and invest in Britain. Drew Hendry. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In my constituency, the Zeldorf's family have lived and raised their family in the small village of Lagan for many years. Despite full cooperation, they faced an uphill and fruitless battle with the Home Office, had their driving licences revoked and are being forced out of the community they've served and invested in by a technicality around their business, the local shop. Will the Prime Minister look into this grossly unfair situation and work with me to achieve justice for this family? Well, I'll certainly have a look at the case that he mentions if he uh, lets me know the, the names and the nature of the issues, and I'll make sure the Home Office look at it urgently. Ben Howlett. Mr Speaker, as the Prime Minister will know from getting stuck in traffic on his way into Bath just before the general election last year, uh, my, my constituency is plagued by high air pollution and also congestion too. Now, given this uh, Government's commitment to invest billions of pounds in infrastructure, something that the previous uh, Labour Government failed to do in 13 years, will the Prime Minister look at committing to look at the construction of the long overdue and much needed missing A3646 link road to the east of my constituency? Well, I'll certainly have a look at what my honourable friend says. He makes an important point because some people think that uh, if you care about air quality, there is no room for any road building. But of course, stationary traffic is much more polluting than moving traffic, and we have to make sure the arteries that serve all our constituencies are open. So I'll look carefully at what he said, but at the same time, we should recognise that air quality is improving. Nitrogen oxides are down 17% over the last uh, four years, and, and we want to do more by introducing the Clean Air Programme. Ben Bradshaw. With the United Kingdom facing our most momentous decision for a generation in eight weeks' time, does the Prime Minister think it makes more sense for us to listen to all of our closest friends and allies around the world or to a combination of French fascists, Nigel Farage and Vladimir Putin? I'm glad he takes the... uh the English pronunciation of Farage rather than the rather poncy foreign sounding one that he seems to prefer. I think that's a thoroughly good thing. Um, look, obviously, I think we should listen to our friends and our allies. And as I look around the world, as I look around the world, it's hard to find the leader of a country that wishes us well, that wants us to do anything other than stay inside a reformed European Union. Tom Tugendhat. Mr Speaker, the new ICES announced in this this year's budget are very welcome. They'll help people save for homes and for retirement. But as my right honourable friend will have seen in this morning's City AM, hidden fees can strip as much of a third off the gains a pension could make over a lifetime. Can the Prime Minister tell me what this Government is doing to ensure firms investing people's hard-earned savings reveal all the fees they charge so that people know exactly what they will pay and can choose the investment that is best for them? 
Well, my honourable friend has fought a, a, a long campaign about this, and quite rightly so. I think one of the things that saps people's uh, enthusiasm uh, for investing in savings products is just a sense that they don't understand the fees and charges and don't know how much they're going to get out of them. What we've done is, since last April, trustees have defined contribution pension schemes have to report charges levied on members, and the Financial Conduct Authority are committed to making regulations with us during this Parliament requiring the publication of more costs and charges. So we've given ourselves the legal duty to do so, but I'm sure he'll be pushing us all the way to make sure it happens. Marion Fellow. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister and his government did next to nothing to save the Scottish steel industry. It was left to the Scottish Government to do that. Now, now the UK Government is breaking the promises made by both Tories and Labour to protect the Scottish shipbuilding industry. Why does the Prime Minister think that Scottish jobs are so expendable? Frankly, the Scottish Government and the UK Government should work together. And one of the things we should work together on is procurement. And it is worth asking how much Scottish steel was in the Forth Road Bridge? Zero. None. Absolutely nothing. Yes. What a contrast. What a contrast with the warships that we're building that, of course, we wouldn't be building if we had an independent Scotland. So we back the steel industry with actions as well as words. Uh, the, uh, the house is excitable, but it must simmer down. We must hear the Honourable Lady. Suella Fernandez. Hatred and ignorance lie at the heart of anti Semitism. And when those in public life express such views, they denigrate not only themselves, but also the institutions to which they belong. Will my right honourable friend please reassure this house? Of his, of his commitment to fighting this vicious form of prejudice. Yeah. I think it is very simple. Anti-Semitism is effectively racism and we should call it out and fight it wherever we see it. And the fact that, frankly, we've got a Labour Member of Parliament with the Labour whip who made remarks about the transportation of people from Israel to America and talked about a solution and is still in receipt of the Labour whip is quite extraordinary. Let me just tell you what the Shadow Chancellor said about these people. Out, out, out. If people express these views, full stop, they're out. People might be able to reform their views and the rest of it. On this, I can't see it. I'm not having it. People might say, I've changed my views. We'll do something in another organisation. And frankly, it'll be too many hours in the day before that happens to the MP in question. My constituent, Joseph Brown Larty, was killed at the age of 25 by an 18-year-old driving a hire car without a licence, driving at 80 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. The 18-year-old was convicted of causing death by dangerous driving and received a sentence of just six years, of which he'll probably serve three. Two weeks ago, myself, along with Joseph's family, delivered a 20,000-signature petition calling for tougher sentences for causing death by dangerous driving. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that sentences for these crimes are too lenient, and when can we expect to get a response to our petition and get justice for Joseph? 
Well, I have every sympathy with the family in question. I had an almost identical case in, in my constituency where a, 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 a young girl was killed by a dangerous driver. The maximum sentence is 14 years, so the courts do have the ability to uh, sentence more, but I know how, uh, th what this means to the families. I'm making sure that the uh, Minister for Roads is looking again at all of these issues in terms of dangerous driving, and I'll make sure that the case she mentions is taken into account as well. Mike Wood. As birthplace of the Industrial Revolution, Dudley is proud of its heritage, but we need economic stability to deliver a prosperous future. Will the Prime Minister come to launch the new enterprise zone in Briley Hill to look at uh, how we can attract more investment, uh, build, create new jobs, and develop the highly skilled workforce our community needs? Well, I will look very carefully whether I'm able to do that because we support the industrial regeneration of the black country. The truth is enterprise zones have been a success. They've created nearly 25,000 jobs, attracted over 630 companies and secured 2.4 billion of private sector investment. A lot of the um, delivery of enterprise zones has involved a lot of hard work by local authorities and I pay tribute to them and I wish them well in the black country. Judith, come in. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Given the strategic and economic importance of the M62 corridor to the Northern Powerhouse, can the Prime Minister give me and the people of Bradford his commitment to the electrification of the Calder Valley Line and lend his support for the great city of Bradford to be a fundamental part of the proposed Northern Powerhouse Rail? Well, we have uh, made commitments on electrification in terms of north-south lines and indeed east-west lines. I have to look very carefully at the proposal that she makes, but we want everywhere, Bradford included, to benefit from the Northern Powerhouse. John Stevenson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, nuclear matters in Cumbria. We have the nuclear legacy at Sellafield, defence work at Barrow, and the prospects of serious investment in a new nuclear plant at Moorside. Uh, given the apparent opposition to nuclear from the parties opposite, can the Prime Minister confirm that the long-term decisions for both nuclear power and defence will be made in a timely manner? Well, my honourable friend is absolutely right that Cumbria does depend uh, to, a to a large extent on jobs from the industries that he mentions. Now, obviously, on um, Sellafield, we continue to invest in reprocessing and in uh, the procedures there. Uh, we also are looking at, as he knows, redeveloping our commercial nuclear industry, starting with the vital decisions at Hinkley Point, which then could have very great benefits for other areas that want to see uh, nuclear power stations. And, of course, Barrow is home to the development of our nuclear submarines, and we will be uh, holding a vote in this House to make sure we renew our uh, our trident in full. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister has just suggested that child refugees alone in Europe are safe. There are children's homes full in Italy and Greece and over a thousand children will sleep rough in Greece alone tonight. How are they safe? Ten thousand children have disappeared in Europe. How are they safe? The agencies say that children are committing survival sex. They are being abused, subject to prostitution and rape. It is not insulting other European countries to offer to help. They want us to help. So will he reconsider his position on Alf Dubb's amendment before it comes back to the vote and stop with his attitude to lone child refugees putting this House and this country to shame? We, we 
She asks if we are helping other European countries, and we are helping other European countries, not least with the £10 million we recently announced. But I would say the crucial point is this. How do we in Britain best help child refugees? We think we help them by taking them from the refugee camps, taking them from Lebanon, taking them from Jordan, taking them when they come to this country. That's what we're doing, and we have a proud record and nothing to be ashamed of. Thank you, you, Mr Speaker. Several small businesses I've met with in Tadcaster last week are being treated appallingly by insurance companies. Four months months after the floods, claims have not been settled and renewal premiums are being hiked to astronomical levels. Um, The Government has rightly helped introduce the flood re-scheme to help homeowners after flooding. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that the same protection should be given to small business owners too? First of all, I absolutely recognise the problem that he uh, lays out when my constituency was badly flooded. Um, Some insurance companies paid out very quickly, others were not so fast. I understand that uh, when we look at what happened during the winter, we've got 82% of claims that have been paid out. But what I would say to him and to other colleagues is where you have specific examples, the Secretary of State for for Farming, Food and Rural Affairs would be very interested to see them so we can get on top of uh, the insurance industry. On the issue of whether we need a flood restyle approach to small businesses, we're looking specifically at that uh, to make sure that small businesses can get the insurance they need. Emma Reynolds. Speaker, three years ago, whilst on holiday in France, my mother fell seriously ill. Thanks to the French health service, she received excellent treatment, was diagnosed with cancer, unfortunately, but she is doing well today, thanks to our NHS as well. Millions of Brits every year travel to other EU countries and benefit, like my mum, from the European Health insurance card. What would happen to that card should we vote to leave on the 23rd of June? Well, first of all, on behalf of the whole House, can I wish her mother well uh, in her treatment and the treatment she's getting from the NHS? I think the, the right honourable lady, honourable lady raises an important point, which is this is one of the benefits that we have now. Many of us will have used it ourselves or with our own children, uh, and actually we think we can make the system even better as we are. And it's for those who want to leave the European Union who have to explain, if we were to leave, would we still be able to access this and other such systems which are very handy for people in in going about their holidays. Dr Julian Lewis. Whatever the outcome of the EU referendum, does the Prime Minister agree that one thing that will never diminish is the mutual affection and admiration between Britain and our great ally France? In that connection, will will he pay tribute to the people who fought and won the Normandy campaign, such as the late captain Paul Cash, who was killed fighting in Normandy at the age of 26, having won the military cross and was the father of the honourable member, my friend, the honourable member for Stone, and Sergeant Peter Kahn, who at 93 is at Westminster today, who built the Bailey bridges that enabled the breakout from the Normandy beachhead and who will be receiving the Légion d'honneur in a typically generous gesture from our French allies. I certainly join my honourable friend in paying tribute to all those who served and particularly those who fell in that heroic uh, campaign. Uh, I, one of the 
proudest things I've been able to do as Prime Minister was to go to the 70th anniversary and go to that vigil uh, where um, our gliders came in to prepare for those landings and to go to Gold Beach and to see the incredible work that was done. So we should remember what they did and we should remember what it was that they gave their lives for, which was to achieve peace on our continent. Finally, Christian Matheson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent Deborah has HIV that she contracted via a partner who had received a contaminated blood transfusion. My constituent Neil has hepatitis, again from a contaminated transfusion, and he now needs a second liver transplant. Neither of them can hold down a full-time job because of the catastrophic effects on their health of their conditions, so they both absolutely rely on the support from the state that the government is now planning to slash in half. I simply ask the Prime Minister, why is the government so willing to attack people whose only offence, whose only mistake, was to be unlucky? Well, well, first of all, uh, what we said before the election was that we had set aside £25 million to help those who were infected with HIV because of contaminated blood. We've actually raised that since the election to over £100 million, and we are currently consulting with all the groups about how best to use that money. So actually we're going to be doing more than we said at the election time, but it's very necessary because these people have suffered through no fault of their own. Order.